recently had so many thoughts surrounding tribalism, surrounding ignorance, and surrounding general human nature. Going to expound on these a little bit. So I was listening to, I can't remember what his last name is. His name is Irami. He is a academic. He's been on, he was on Rising when it was on the hill with Sagar and Crystal. But he, he, uh, he does his own podcast called The Funky Academic. If you ever listen to this guy, yeah, I mean, everything, <laughs> everything that comes out of this guy's mouth is one of those things that will either make you feel uncomfortable, but I hope it will make you think. And one of the things he was talking about was the Ukrainian in, the, in his last episode, and I'll put in the check the show notes if you're interested in listening. But he was talking about the Ukrainian and the American Negro. The title itself was interesting because I wanted to see what the heck, you know, what, what kind of comparison he was drawing. And it was interesting. Um, I don't necessarily know if I agree with everything he said. But at the very least, I thought about it. And one of the things that he brought up was if we truly cared about peace, if we truly cared about um, coming to a ending suffering, ending life, we would look to a help Ukraine surrender as, you know, as a nation versus supplying them with weapons and feeding feeding into violence. And I one of the things I thought about was that violence begets violence, right? So the the more we constantly feed into this narrative that we need to defend somebody or send them weapons and so on, you escalate, right? It's escalatory. So unless you I mean if you really wanted it to end, the power structure is as such that Russia is the stronger military force. So if you really wanted it to end, then you would let them negotiate a, a surrender. How that would look, I don't know. Like he says that in the show, he says that he's not sure you know, how that would actually look. He doesn't believe because Russians and Ukrainians are so close to each other. He doesn't believe that they would actually be that much of a, a um, cultural difference or cultural backlash. But I I don't know, man, like civil wars are pretty dirty. And, it, and even if you look at that, he, he called it more like a civil war, whereas you've got, you know, two factions of, of a similar government that disagree with each other on certain principles. But there's not, you know, that the, there's it's an interesting concept, to say the least, as as a pacifist, as somebody that believes in peace. I think that's a fair assumption i had this discussion with a friend and i as somebody who practices meditation and zen and believes in buddhism and believes in inner peace you have to kind of wonder how often would a society that was completely utopian in, in nature like let's say we cared for each other we loved one another everything was perfect right like nobody went without everybody was a caring person what's to stop other humans from overpowering you and are you willing to just give away 
everything you've worked towards or everything you, your culture has strived for to protect your utopia. And I, I was talking about, I was like, you know, history has taught us that usually turning the other cheek and telling people to love one another has brought, well, let's start with probably one of the most famous ones, a crucifixion. You know, if you believe in Jesus or you don't, the story of Jesus is that he went around trying to tell people to love one another and accept one another and help one another. And that got him hung on the cross, right? Which I just finished the book Dominion. I'll put that in the show notes as well. That is a pretty intense book. <laughs> if, if, if you know anything about the history of crucifixion in Rome, yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. Uh, at any rate, back to the whole point of human nature. Those of us that are willing to sacrifice for our goodness, you know, if you believe in in a higher power and in an energy, in a in a conscious energy that you know exists inside of ourselves and exists all around us and all that and when we die we return to said energy then you know it makes sense that sacrificing for that cause and for that purpose would be beneficial but does that mean that we should just simply roll over and give up whenever the stronger power comes to us and that brings a thought of a quote that I had said previously on this podcast is, you know, the young student goes to his master and he says, why do you preach peace, but you're constantly practicing for war? And the master tells him, I would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. My little brother, actually, when he was on this show, he had a, if you go back to uh, Spirituality and Clean Windows, I think that's what the episode was called, but uh, <clears throat> he's got heavy Christian faith, and he was talking about how when things don't make sense, it's kind of a spiritual thing, and as I've done a lot of research through um, different theologies and different belief structures, <clears throat> one of the consistent things that I see is that there's this um, affinity for the divine. So in Stoicism, they talk about the divine being this thing that represents your, basically your consciousness. So as far as science goes, there's not a lot uh, of information to explain consciousness. Is it, you know, there's people that talk about like, you know, what if we actually have freedom of choice and how these things actually exist within ourselves and how we respond to particular decisions. Um, Sam Harris has some great talks on it. If you're interested in consciousness and panpsychism, if panpsychism, <laughs> that's kind of a crazy one. Um, there's a, uh, that's kind of a God in everything uh, without saying there's a God in everything. I don't really, it's, it's a very interesting concept. If you're interested, um, shoot me a message. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. But the, the, the overall idea that 
we are not connecting to our divine selves, our consciousness, our mindfulness, right? Like, so mindful practice is one of those things that I heard Jewel talking about it. And I was like, she said that she always hears that everywhere, but she never, nobody's ever explained it. And I thought about it and I was like, well, you seem, I think it would be kind of a, it should make sense, right? Like being mindful, like when you're going to do something, you put yourself into the moment. For example, when I'm recording, I know that I'm going to record. I know that I have to edit. I know that I have to speak clearly. I know I have to speak and enunciate <laughs> my words, right? So these are all, these are, these are things that, that allow me to be in the moment and focus on those particular things. So you have to wonder, are we actually being in control of this particular, you know, consciousness. And why is it that not everybody is attached to the idea of being mindful? And the idea, when she said that, that nobody ever explained it, I thought about it. I was like, well, maybe, maybe I should actually say something about it since that's kind of an important aspect is, you know, being mindful means being in the moment. So if you go into something, know your emotions going into said something. If you are angry about a politician or angry about a news article, why are you angry? What is it that makes you angry? And then also, is it something you can control? Is it something you can't control? What facets of said problem are some things that you can control? And what facets are things that maybe you need to tuck away because there's they're out of your control? And this is where it comes into, like, is the universe at play with us and God's, you know, grand scheme of things, you know, if God's forcing you down these uh, trials and tribulations, you know, Book of Job stuff. So I think that the idea of mindfulness is that you present yourself fully so that you're not doing things out of emotional reactivity. You're not responding on instinct. Because I think instinct is the ultimate downfall of, of man, right? Emotional reactivity, responding to things that we don't think about, responding to in ways that we don't think about. So when we respond habitually, we respond in anger, we respond in fear, we respond in jealousy and hatred. These are all things that are instinctual to us that if we don't train our minds to step away from these things, then that's how we will respond, right? Like one of the things I noticed with me on social media is that damn laughing emoji. <laughs> when people do that, like some of the games I play, you could put little emojis on there and or emotes and the laughing ones always get me. I don't, I don't know why it makes me so angry, but it does. And it's funny as it's, it's silly. Like things are funny and then there's, when you when you feel like you've said something that should not be funny and somebody laughs at it, it I think it's it's kind of like a uh, a uh, I just think of that like in an actuality. Like I had a guy one time I was telling him about the he was talking about how all the oil we're not drilling for oil anymore, and we are. Um, most of my former coworkers are are in places right now currently 
fracking, drilling, or work over, or cementing for wells. So it's not like they're not, and due to the current circumstances, I would be surprised if our, our, uh, powers that be don't, uh, don't get going again. I'm sure people have noticed that 9,000 wells that Saki was talking about. So that'll be something to kind of look at. Um, both rising and breaking points have excellent, excellent segments on the oil production and energy independence in this country. Highly recommend to go look at those. The arguments people are making, obviously, you got one side that's arguing for, uh, you know, because Trump's goofy ass. He told people that I saw a post today where he was saying, oh, gas is only $2 a gallon. You know, if you elect Biden, it'll go up to 7 <laughs> And if that dude didn't get any luck here, I really don't know how else you could possibly... It just, it's so crazy because obviously, yeah, but that's not why it's not because Biden's in office. It has a, a ton to do with, uh, the oil market, the world market, right? Cause all American oil is tied into the world market. I noticed this when I first worked in the oil field. So Obama was in, everybody was like, oh, Obama caused the crash, but no, it was, it was an OPEC thing. OPEC, Saudi the Emiratis, they control a majority of the U.S.'s oil. It's annoying. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me, especially when I worked in the oil field. I was like, well, what am I doing here, right? Like, this is really strange that we cannot, for some reason, become dependent on our own resources. I don't know. It just seems weird. So, at any rate, if you look at the world market... People like OPEC, which they've done several times, whenever they disagree, they didn't like Obama, they didn't like Biden. So they purposefully have gone out of their way to drive oil prices, right? Like just because they don't like the the Saudi prince. I don't really understand our relationship with Saudi, according to Breaking Points. They had a pretty callous <laughs> response to a lot of what they said. Again, I'll post the YouTube video in the uh, in the comments. So um, check for Ryan Grimm's uh, response, or at least he, the the segment was uh, putting your money where your mouth is on energy production in the U.S. And then also um, it was the oil segment from Breaking Points. But look for those. Ignorance is a big deal, right? Like you can't. You can't, you just, you can't have an opinion on, well, you can, you can have an opinion about nothing, you know, you, something, you know, nothing about. However, <laughs> an educated opinion is, is, is more beneficial to the overall ideology of progression through society and trying to be a better society and being more civil and conversation right i think it's very important that we understand that yes 
oil futures are a problem. The oil market is a problem. And it's the world economy that's affecting this. But we also have the ability to create, produce, and bureaucracies are holding up a lot of what we're doing. So it's important to recognize those particular issues because you don't want to just assume, well, it's not Biden's fault because there are things in this administration that he has direct control over and that he could he could come out and communicate those things to the people that he refuses to communicate to the people with, right? And then you get Saki out there and her whole existence is based on propaganda from the White House, right? She's just trying to feed you information that sounds good, but they're not actually doing anything. One of the the biggest ones was um, <laughs> when we were in the testing phase with COVID and the press person told Saki that uh, why are we not just sending tests out to everybody in in the country? And she goes, well, do you know how expensive that is? We can't do that. And then lo and behold, you know, a couple months later, we're sending tests out. <laughs> so, you know, those are the kind of things like it's like they want to argue without listening. And then when they when they do finally listen, they they hear a little bit of information, but they still, you know, their their ability to communicate what's going on is is pretty poor. You can't say it isn't. I mean, look at how things are going and not that. I honestly believe that he's hiding from there's just so much going on. I couldn't imagine being the president of this country right now, like aside from the partisan bickering and the partisan heavy partisan uh, loyalties and midterms and the supply chain. And now the Russia's uh, issue with the world market like <laughs> I I wouldn't want that job. I would not want that job. And knowing this goes back to that Neil deGrasse Tyson quote that says try not to judge politicians because people are the ones that put them there. Going to end this episode with a uh, Seneca quote. It's uh Seneca's Moral Letters, 83.2 I will keep constant watch over myself and most usefully will put each day up for review. For this is what makes us evil, that none of us looks back upon our own lives, reflect upon only that which we are about to do. And yet our plans for the future descend from the past. So, back to the whole mindfulness aspect of living. I think this is an important ideology, but it's not, I don't feel that it's one of those uh, innate functions of the human animal, right? I don't believe we are functionally, <laughs> this is not an instinctual habit. I do think there are some trendsetters and some outliers that tend to focus on these things that rise above their own bullshit in their lives I guess is probably the best way to put it but I think that we are 
constantly struggling with emotions and things in us that hinder our ability to see clearly. And as David Salas said, (laughs) these, these things are spiritual. Or you can say these things are consciousness base or simply lack of mindfulness at any rate thank you for listening hope you had a good day hope you have a good week hope you have a good evening love you all make sure you uh tell those that you love the ones that give you credit the ones that think about you make sure you tell them that you care about them make sure you know Well, I guess you wouldn't know, but make sure you're checking in on those that you might think are lonely. (laughs) It doesn't hurt to shoot a text over or a message or uh, tell someone you're thinking about them. It's just a uh, part of being human. Take care, all. Bye.